This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 13th of March 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jon, and here's my co-host, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jon. Are you ready for some more Trevodian? Oh, we can't get enough of that. It's, uh, it's been a very interesting subject, actually. I've been learning a lot again. So, as uh, we had in episode 76, the uh, first half of the Trevodian interview, this is now the second half, where we get into uh, a little bit more depth on uh, Project Apache Trevodian, find out a little bit more about how it works, what it's doing, and uh, where you might find it useful. So with that, let's uh, let the guys at Esgin take it away. Okay, so perhaps sort of starting to look at um, you know, more of the, the underlying technology and more of the technology stack. Um, you gave us a, a brief overview earlier as to the different layers that make up um, Travodian or the different layers consumed by Travodian. You've got the underlying storage, you've got the, um, the, the, the SQL layer, and then you've got the sort of user access layer. Um, what are some of the challenges with um, integrating with something like HBase that's, you know, um, you know reasonably fast-moving project? Is there a lot of work to, to keep up with, you know, the changes that are being making and being sort of always available with current versions of HBase, or is it something that you found actually relatively easy in the grand scheme of things? So I think when you talk about challenges of integrating with some of the storage engines, actually, I uh, there is an O'Reilly report that that I have written um, called uh, the uh, you know uh, in search <laughs> of database nirvana, uh, and it in 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 you know. It, and, and essentially talks about you know um, the challenges of doing HTAP, which is the hybrid transactional analytical processing, which is trying to essentially address both the analytical space mm-hmm. and the operational space, um, which goes into a little bit about how what are the challenges around integrating with uh, any uh, storage engine, uh, and, and so yeah, there, there are uh, challenges. Now it's not so much so the the change in the code base. Yes, we of course have to test every time they come out with a new release, but that's not really been uh, a big issue for us. I think the, the challenges are in, in being able to get some of the functionality that we, we might want because we don't have control over that storage engine. And uh, you, you sort of have to rely on the community to have a need for that. So, so as an example, um, one of the things that we were used to doing uh, on our, our tandem systems was what's called mixed workload. So this is the ability to say that as you are running my query, uh, I want you to run it based on a priority mechanism. And every once in a while, you should come up and check if I've got a higher priority request and therefore switch over. Uh, or to the higher priority request, and then go back to working on the low priority request. So that what what that afforded us on a, on a nonstop platform was this ability to mix workloads and have essentially almost. In fact, we demonstrated almost no impact on the OLTP and high priority workloads of you know BI and analytical type queries okay. going against the same data. Now. That's something that's very hard to do in HBase, and and so that's that's one of the challenges. And of course, as far as you know, uh, using HBase for scanning and all that, it's it's also a challenge. So that's the reason we had to support a separate storage engine. 
Um, so, so the challenges are more in in the capabilities that we would like to have. You know, uh, ultimately in 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 the product, uh, we would like to have strong uh, data type support, uh, multi um, multi column key support, and so forth, which is standard. Um, you know, across across age base. Um, but you know, that's where you have to sort of rely on the community. But other than that, uh, it's been a great project and an integration for us. Of course, the one of the challenges for us for integrating was we needed to integrate with the co-processors. And that's where we have put a lot of that uh, transactional code. So as you might uh, know, in a co-processors are like triggers in Cassandra, where you essentially, um, when a write is done, you sort of intercept that and, and, you know, and we can tie like transactions around that. And so we uh, have implemented our transactional and distributed infrastructure using the co-processors. And and so so that's a very important piece for us that that we have to leverage. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the challenges of integrating with the storage engine. Each storage engine provides uh, different sort of support, whether it's for compression, for encryption, and how do you leverage that encryption? Um, how do you leverage uh, mm-hmm. the replication model? Uh, how do you leverage? The, you know the the, the challenges of co- things like compaction and how do you deal with compaction and operational you know uh, challenges that come along with that so so yes uh, you know all of those things impact uh, one when you're trying to integrate with a but specific also program. Rohit I think it over time it got matured uh, because initially yes uh, 0.89 where the APIs were oh, getting yeah. changed right oh, and then yeah. we had a we we had right now the things Absolutely. have become stable, so we don't see that much um, that much uh, problems right nowadays because right. it's the whole stack had got matured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we we're definitely in right. in that sort of stage. I mean, there are a lot of things happening in the Hadoop world as a whole. Obviously, we've got the Hadoop three dot um, release that's uh, either in place or approaching, depending on how far towards the bleeding edge that uh, you are. But there's you know, a lot of the core components that people are relying on, this, you know, in this day and age are still fairly standard, fairly well established. I think perhaps people maybe not so familiar with the open source world might see it uh, a, a bit more challenging. But those have been those of us that have been in open source for a while, you know, this it, we're actually in a pretty good state right now, I think. Right. So. Obviously, um, you know, we're talking about uh, Travodian as part of, uh, you know, no one is going to just have Travodian. They're going to have almost certainly many other systems and certainly many other big data systems, certainly. Um, you know, does does Travodian coexist with a, an existing uh, Hadoop platform or, you know, will it typically require uh, its own separate discrete cluster? No, actually, no. It it can co it, it yeah it can coexist with uh, with with uh, other things running on mm-hmm. uh, on that Hadoop cluster, but of course, ideally speaking, you you do want to uh, dedicate you know um, the resources to to mm-hmm. that because there's always contention, and part of the issue becomes you know what are your SLAs and and how stable do you want your SLAs to be and. And the more you add to the mix, the less predictability do you you have on on your SLAs. So uh, while you can run a lot of things, you know, uh, on on a particular Hadoop cluster, 
if you want uh, predictable response times and so forth, then you have to dedicate resources, uh, you know, to that workload. So, so that's a, you know, that's that that's a choice. So is it, is it something where, for example, you would have you would have it alongside, you know, alongside or installed on the same nodes as you would have your H base. Or would you have it on, you know, ideally on dedicated nodes, part that HBase is part of the same cluster? Or how does that, how does your ideal layout look for something like that? Yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I so, so yeah, we, we can actually, I mean, that's what we do right now is HBase is on the same cluster and that's we run on the same cluster as, as mm-hmm. HBase and HDFS is on. Now, um, you you might might be saying that uh, mo- most folks are moving towards uh, much more of a separate compute and separate storage uh, infrastructure with a very fast interconnect between the two, um, so that the compute nodes are separate and and uh, the storage nodes are separate. Actually, we had proposed that as part of HP uh, uh, the, mm-hmm. the what's called the big data architecture way back in 2015, and we had Trafodian working with that infrastructure at that point in time. So yes, we can support separate compute um, and storage or, uh, you know, um, essentially uh, running on on uh, the same nodes mm-hmm. as, the, uh, as HBase itself. So that's, it depends on how you want to configure that because obviously there are advantages and disadvantages. Of course, I mean, the, the sort of combination um, of separated compute and storage has become far more prevalent with in the, the current world of, of cloud uh, and that's where everything is separated compute and storage. So, exactly. you know, why fight it? Going, I just want to add one thing. Going back to your point, mm-hmm. and more and more of our customers are asking what you brought up, where you have a, a, a big cluster and that where you are hosting uh, <clears throat> like uh, Sparks or Impalas mm-hmm. running and then you have right at the same time you want to also host uh, Travodian where you want to look at uh, the odious kind of workloads and then you want to share the resources. What we have, what this uh, engine supports is a pretty good workload management where we kind of, we have, we're not able to integrate into yeah, like a YARN kind of a thing because we are a C++ based architecture but we also have something, uh, we, we our own built-in workload manager with, with the provisioning time. You could tell to our engine saying that how many resources you want to dedicate with uh, uh, for for Travorian. And then uh, um, then we, we just uh, bind to that limitations. And then you should be able to run other workloads. But within the within uh, the Esgin, you could also bring in other tenants, saying that okay, if you have two business, uh, two um, use cases, and you want to deploy, you can carve out uh, resources from the compute perspective, different, and then we uh, we 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 can um, also inherit those uh, within the engine. So. Mm-hmm. And because the, 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 the when you're talking from a database perspective, it's not just a one database, right? It's a, it's multiple workloads, multiple queries running within oh, that database, right? How do you provide SLS, right? You have application one, you have application two. One is doing uh, only inserts, another is doing maybe reporting as well as updates. Now, if you want to carve out different uh, uh, computes, how do you do that? And then we, our engine within that supports that kind of uh, uh, SLAs. Okay. 
In fact, uh, with the latest release, uh, we introduced uh, support for initial support for multi-tenancy, where we leverage C groups mm-hmm. to sort of manage the percentage, you know, allocation of resources across okay. multiple tenants. So, obviously, you know, as so. as you mentioned, the support for you know yarn is is primarily the 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 resource negotiator that that everybody in the in the big data world knows and Correct. some people even love. <laughs> um, the so you know. And the sort of thing that you know people might use for what you're talking about would be things like uh, yarn labeling, where you'd label certain nodes to be, um, you know, for a specific uh, a specific workload or a specific um, compute use, for example. Um, and so, I guess you know one of the one of the questions has to be: Are you you're not doing it yet primarily because of the um, the different um, you know code base styles and things like that but is it something that you you have on the the medium to long term roadmap to sort of have a a method of of plugging into a, a yarn resource scheduler i think from an architectural standpoint we explored it and and found that it uh, would be um, it, it would be hard for us because uh, we um, at, at the current time, anyway, are you know we we have a lot of processes that essentially execute um, the engine, you know, uh, uh, execute the queries across the um, the cluster, uh, and so trying to you know uh, work that into a yarn uh, application is is very very difficult because we are trying to control things at the query level. Uh, almost because you're you're essentially saying well this query came from such and such tenant and has a higher priority and gets much much more allocation, whereas Yarn you know looks at uh, us as an application and mm-hmm. doesn't get into that sort of thing. So uh, so from that perspective, Yarn doesn't bias much. Now what we need to do is just be respectful of others mm-hmm. on the system, right? From a Yarn perspective, so that's that's our focus. Um, and as you know, HBase is not necessarily yeah. integrated into Yarn either, so that becomes yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, uh, you the tend other to issue, right. So yeah, so you tend to dedicate to support, nodes yeah. to HBase, so they're still within the same cluster, Correct. but the nodes are dedicated. So you'd really you'd use the same approach with Travodian. You'd the nodes would still be in the cluster, but all they would have right. on them would be HDFS, for example. The way yeah, the way we are doing that's, currently. That's if you if uh, let's say if you're uh, leveraging uh, uh, Cloudera Manager in Cloudera Manager, you could tell okay how many resources uh, at the provisioning time that uh, Travodian can be allocated, which Yarn is aware of that when we set it up, so it knows okay this it treats the whole Travodian as a uh, as a subsystem. So mm-hmm. let's say you are giving. Fifty percent of compute uh, from CPU and memory perspective to to Travodian, Yarn kind of knows. Oh, okay, I'm not going to touch that because it is being mm-hmm. leveraged by some other system, and the rest I can use within that fifty. We can manage. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I had a bit of a question. You kind of partially answered it already. But if I understand correctly, then Travodian is prim- uh, is using HBase to do the heavy lifting underneath. So how much extra resources should I set aside for Travodian specifically if I do not count the HBase resource usage? Or should I just have the HBase spec'd out correctly and then just count a couple of extra percentages for Travodian? Uh, how should I look at that? Yeah, it all depends upon, based on, 
Go ahead. Well, I, <laughs> too many people. Ahead, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what Rao was about to say is that it all depends on sort of the workload that you that you're that you have. Um, but essentially, we we have guidelines on how to set up. Uh, you know, uh, the 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 you know mem store and stuff like that for um, for and, mm-hmm. and you know all the parameters for HBase. So we default to a certain set of parameters for for that. Um, and so as as part of the installation configuration, we sort mm-hmm. of set the appropriate attributes for HBase that work best. Uh, yeah, but does Travodian have its own uh, so, daemon that's also running on every yeah. node that does compute, that does interaction? So you need specific resources for Travodian oh, yeah. itself too. Oh, well, it, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have multiple uh, processes that might be running on a node um, for, for and, and on the same node. And so, yes, we do need allocation for that as well. Okay, but it's hard to say you need, I don't know, the, the HBase plus 10%. It's dependent on what kind of queries you're running at that point, how, how much the optimizer needs to run. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, so when we are running uh, OLTP, it's very clear. We, 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 we know how to configure the number of processes you have to have per node because yeah, we yeah, yeah, achieve yeah. a certain amount of transactions per second. Like, for instance, we've done auto entry. Uh, it's very clear as to how many, what we can uh, scale up to. And so now when you start getting into BI analytics, <laughs> it's just less of a science <laughs> because it all depends on, on the complexity of the workload, you know, how many concurrent queries you're going to be running uh, and, and, you know, okay. how, how complex are these queries going to be? You know, how many joins mm-hmm. you're going to have, what kind of aggregations you're going to do. Um, so it becomes much yeah, is more. Is there some a, some uh, guidance can say it's uh, mostly CPU resources, mostly memory, mostly disk I/O you need, or just it really depends. It, it really depends. I mean, I think when you when you when you are OLTP, where we find of course the CPU pretty pretty heavy on CPU. Um, HBase <laughs> is pretty heavy yep. on on memory at that point, especially when you run auto entry. We see um, um, you know um, HBase doing that. Now, for BI analytics okay. workloads, of course, we don't use HBase, right? So uh, for that, we're using ORC and, uh, and Parquet. So there you see much more memory. Memory is the key uh, when it comes to that. Now, one of the nice parts about our case is that when we have, uh, when you are doing many complex queries, and in our case, we automatically overflow. So what we do is we detect okay. uh, memory pressure uh, uh, dynamically, and if we feel there is memory pressure, we automatically overflow to disk. Uh, and so we have done mm-hmm. experiments with overflowing to SSDs, for instance, which gives us a pretty nice boost when you do that. Uh, so, so yeah, I think memory becomes um, a, 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 the challenge when you're starting Great, doing very complex large Yeah, queries. just to add to Roy's point, I think I want to stress was, uh, because I think he, he initially brought up the point, HTAP, where hybrid transaction analytical processing and then when you look at uh, the, the from HTAP perspective, there are other other folks there out there, but they talk from in-memory perspective. They can do really this thing when when your data set is in memory. But if you look at uh, Roy's book on uh, like database Nirvana, he talks about the data, big data is not any, anything in memory. You have to go to the disk, right? And we we shine there really well because of the MPP capabilities we have the uh, and also the concurrency. And one of the, the things we really shame in our customer use cases are when you have bigger data sets, 
and then if you want to drive a lot more concurrency because there are engines out there really do well much better than us when you have low concurrency because you are able to fit your data sets into the memory and then and they can go against it and then deliver SLS. But as you are pushing more and more queries or more and more use cases you bring in, now your memory get trashed because it has to be continuously churning between memory and the disk, right? And then, then you're not meeting your SLS. That's where we, we really shine. And that's why the customers are liking us as you are bringing your bigger data sets and then you can bring in your concurrency. Okay, so really, um, that that high concurrent usage is is something that I mean, something that's traditional with the OLTP workspace is high concurrent usage, and so you, you're really focusing on that as well with Travodium. Correct. But also, I think that it's not just OLTP and operational. Actually, it also is in BI. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, now it's a little different workload in some sense, but the enterprise data warehouse workloads, which we we really used to shine at uh, as well in our previous incarnations, is 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 essentially very high amount of concurrency. If you, if you look at the numbers of queries that we used to run at at HP, um, is it's very very high. Now you know you will see ninety nine percent of the queries, ninety percent of the queries, uh, you know, being completing in five you know uh, five seconds, ten seconds. Um, and so you might say, well, that's not really analytic, I mean, as analytical, but then there are five to 10% really, you know, huge analytical type queries when you have hundreds and hundreds of queries running at the same time. So we have scaled up to, you know, uh, in, a, in an enterprise data warehouse, I think up to like, what, 200 uh, queries per second? About, about, sorry, uh, 200 mm-hmm. queries are running concurrently. Um, More than that, right? Now, For, it all depends, right? In case of OLTP, it could be thousands. Yeah, internally, right. we tested right. more than that. Yeah. yeah, we're not OLTP. I'm talking about the uh, you know uh, HP uh, IT queries we, we ran. Uh, I know that they reached 192 uh, concurrent uh, queries, uh, you know, on a very consistent basis, something like that. And we of course Correct. have tested for much higher, and and so that's kind of where we we really shine is not only for OLTP but especially because because of the overflow because of how we manage memory uh, for BI uh, queries and analytic queries uh, we we can really scale quite a bit and you sort of we we have to do yeah. that to compete in the yeah, EDW market right so. okay so stepping out of the uh, maybe the, the the core of the technology now and, and more into sort of the areas where people are starting to use this. Uh, obviously, the the decades and thousands of, uh, of, of man-hours, engineering man-hours that have gone into the, the SQL engine, uh, you mentioned earlier, it's you know, pretty complete from a, a SQL front. Um, what's, what does that actually um, sort of compare to in terms of, um, you know, SQL standards? Are we, is it sort of, um, you know, SQL 2011 analytics or... You know, what, what SQL standards is Travodian compliant against if people are looking at that? Yeah, it's very hard to nail a particular standard. Uh, you know, it's always, uh, you know, now we've got a <laughs> 2016 standard, you know, so the question is, which standard are we talking about? Um, but yeah, I think we are pretty current. We, are, we were at least at the uh, mm-hmm. ANSI 2003. Now, of course, we don't support everything. Is that's uh, that's an ANSI 2003, but we, you know, very large uh, set of words 2003. But also, actually, if you look at the de facto standards, right? I mean, everybody uses these Oracle functions, and 
you know, the SQL Server functions or whatever, um, and and now much mm. more to even Hive functions that people, uh, you know, user-defined functions that people have gotten used to. So, so we are supporting a lot of that uh, in in the in the product. Certainly, all the OLAP functions are supported. Um, and so forth. So, so yeah, we have a pretty good coverage of uh, nice. ANSI SQL. Also, just to add to that, uh, the SQL engine also understands some of the Oracle and Teradata parser syntax. So, if you have some <clears throat> some of the uh, functions which is supported with Oracle and Teradata are supported within this engine. And then also one of the things uh, we really differentiate ourselves is using the user-defined functions. We have a uh, a very well um, um, user-defined frameworks where if you have a a logic written external to the SQL engine, you want to bring it in using this user-defined function you can um, um, getting. For example, that's how we have, we were able to integrate into Spark ML or R program or like TensorFlow. So you have this business logic. What this does is it leverages our uh, parallel capability. So you take a business logic, and then if you want to uh, execute in parallel with our engine, it is possible so that it can deliver much better performance. So, so it's like taking as the you know you can you're probably familiar with the scalar user-defined function. This is a table mapping user-defined function. So you can mm-hmm. actually have tables feeding it. So we could be doing a select from the and scanning the database and then feeding all of that into this this particular UDF. The UDF can then apply some sort of machine learning algorithm, you know, whatever uh, in it, and then spit out another uh, a set. That set might be less than, you know, might have different number of rows than going into it. Uh, so so basically. Think about as tables going in and tables coming out. Now that same infrastructure we are using to now integrate with Solar for search. Um, so we would have a column that's in, say, um, in in a in, in a Gravodian table, and and then we store the uh, we we index it with Solar, and so you can now leverage the search with Solar and and integrate that into a query with uh, against the you know. Um, so it, it's sort of almost seamless integration. Uh, into that infrastructure with with this UDF with this uh, user defined function. So we are, we are doing the same thing now with Janus Graph. Where you can mm-hmm. run a, a Gremlin query. You know you can pass to the UDF. It brings back results that you can then join um, and so forth. So so that's that infrastructure is and we have shown that to work with Kafka as well. So you could have Kafka topics in parallel that we are you know uh, sort of talking to and and integrating with, and you can pull data in. Uh, same thing with Spark or any JDBC database. So I think we connected to like Oracle uh, through a JDBC interface and 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 uh, treated like a table coming into uh, into uh, and join joined with other Interesting. tables. So like, you've uh, got yeah. you've got th- these user defined functions are really far more powerful than than people are probably used to, where it's just you know some 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 code that you can run that manipulates the you know something that already exists in the database. You can actually hook this into many of the well-known components within a, a standard big data platform. Correct. Exactly. It's like a connector, but it's a very flexible connector where you can write any sort of Java code to integrate any external nice. um, nice. You know, source yeah. into it. And it's a two-way street. So you can pass uh, pass things to the solar uh, or Janus Graph, for instance, uh, uh, and and then get back. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, result sets and so forth. Uh, of course, the challenge in, in cases like Janet's mm-hmm. graph is how do you make <laughs> yeah. it tabular and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the typical relational challenges. And also, but, how but, do you? Yeah, I'm uh, guess also how do you yeah, ensure do that the that. speed is kept up as well? Because you know, if you're, it, that's got to be something that you keep in mind when you're creating these UDFs. Is you've got to make sure that they're going to be performant at the scale that you're going to be handling them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but the nice nice part is that, you know, it's all part of the same ecosystem. So if you're deploying on one of these uh, distributions, you have Spark potentially there. You have, um, y- you know, you have uh, Solar and, um, oftentimes and so forth. So you can integrate into, into these uh, technologies um, yeah. very well in, in some sense. We so. see a lot of customer use cases like that where, you you have relational databases already existing. They have data model. They have dimension tables there, and then they build these data lakes. Now they instead of moving those uh, dimension tables onto the onto the Hadoop, they may remotely want to go and access them at real time, right within a query. So our UDF framework provides that. Like it's like a data virtualization, but within our SQL engine where we are treating that external RDMS as a external storage. And then you issue this query, it can go and then get that data and then join them. As as jo, as uh, Rohit pointed out, in case of like Kafka, you could, our UDF can become like a subscribed, subscriber to that. And it becomes, mm-hmm. it can be like in-memory table. And then you can join that in-memory table with your regular table and also you can bring in your external dimension table which may be sitting in your mysql or it can be sitting in your oracle so it can be done all together in the same it, it's almost like a select query you're joining a three external sources yeah okay so when you were talking earlier about uh, the, the SQL semantics you mentioned that uh, you also support some um, olap functions Obviously, we're seeing a, a bit of a, a surge of uh, OLAP within the big data ecosystem with Druid you know, becoming more commonplace. Um, do you see um, Travodian moving you know, more into that, that OLAP space? So what we haven't done it so far, so Travodian has been focused on, on transactional um, mm-hmm. workloads and operational workloads. And, and, and basically because we don't think there is another uh, you know, competitor in that space mm-hmm. or solution in that space, let's say, uh, for, uh, for from an operational standpoint. But I mean, from the BI analytics standpoint, yeah. there are lots of different solutions that are available on Hadoop. Uh, um, but what we we say is that, you know, once you've committed to SKNDB, you essentially get uh, best of both in um, in this. So our support, while the synt- a lot of the syntax the OLAP syntax, for instance, um, is supported with Travodian. Uh, it it really is not very valuable because you're not going to do, you know, BI, or you can uh, <laughs> do queries against HBase, uh, but you really, if you are really trying to do BI analytics, you really want to do them against a common store uh, mm-hmm. like Parquet or, or Orc. So, you're best leveraging those against uh, against those two implementations, which are mostly in SKNDB right now. Um, and you know, our our belief has been that as as people uh, demand that more, and if they feel that they, we need to, we should open source um, support for Oracle and Parquet in the open source uh, side of things, then then we might extend that. 
but that's currently not the case. Um, so, so yeah, the OLAP functions themselves can be leveraged um, against uh, Travodium, but uh, you really would want to run them against uh, Org and Apache uh, and yeah. Parquet. Okay. So, so again, you, you kind of touched on some of this a little bit earlier, but maybe uh, maybe a, a chance to go into a little bit more depth. Um, things like you know high availability and disaster recovery and geodistribution of of um, of Travodium. What does what does that look like typically? So uh, from a disaster recovery standpoint, we we uh, certainly of course we we are le- when we are integrating with HBase, we are leveraging mm-hmm. the uh, the right ahead log, right? Um, so so we we are very well integrated right into the transactional implementation of uh, HBase, except we extend it. So when uh, when there is a failure, there is a node failure, say, or or anything that happens, so HBase goes in and does its recovery process. And then what we do, of course, we track our transactions uh, separately as well. So we we know you know what constitutes a transaction, so forth. So then we have to do and and apply. Uh, our updates on the top of that, um, and so that we could bring it to a, a point of consistency. And uh, you know, like I said earlier, we actually can bring it to uh, if you want to recover to a point in time. So if you made, even made a mistake uh, and maybe dropped it, you know, drop some rows that you didn't intend to, um, you can essentially uh, recover the database to that point in time. So we leverage both the HBase infrastructure uh, as well as the additional, um, you know, support that we we have put in to provide that. Similarly for um, disaster recovery. So when when uh, when we do a transaction, what you can do is identify a specific mm-hmm. table, right down to a table, whether you want that table to be replicated or not is that important for you to to be replicated uh, to the back end uh, you know there might be some tables that you don't need replication on perhaps there are others that you want uh, you know uh, on complete replication so when a transaction happens uh, we simultaneously send the right request not only to the local um, cluster but to the to the to the other cluster as well whether that's uh, a local cluster whether it's uh, you know, remote data. You know, remote data center. Uh, it could be you might be actually replicating to two different um, data centers at the same time. Uh, so you can do that as well. And so all that is done as part of a single transaction and coordinated through that transaction. So that uh, that's how we provide disaster recovery. And of course, you know, the HA and high availability has mm-hmm. been our you know bread and butter <laughs> since tandem days because that's that's what we did. And so our we we were very very thorough in our HA testing. So our testing suites, uh, we run them very regularly on on every release for um, for this environment as well, um, and and ensure that that we have that high availability um, that that we need. Of course, we integrate with Zookeeper and so forth so on. We have our own monitor processes that provide a single system image across the cluster. So those are the kinds of things that we are testing constantly to to ensure very Perfect. high availability. Perfect. Okay. So something that often goes, um, you know, very closely hand in hand with things like HA and DR, especially in uh, in today's world where uh, data breaches seem to be getting more common and more regular, is obviously security. Um, 
you know, Kerberos is the, the de facto standard for a lot of the you know underlying security. Um, and then, of course, you've got the authentic you know, on the authentication side, and then, of course, you've got the authorization side. So, what what does that look like with uh, Travodian? Yeah, so we we are very much integrated into Kerberos mm-hmm. at that level with Hadoop. Um, now, of course. Um, you know, that's that's an authentication as well. But now we also have authentication through LDAP. Yeah. So because that was sort of in our, our heritage. So we we integrate for authentication with LDAP. Then we have full role-based and user-based, you know, full grant revoke, uh, you know, support mm-hmm. within within the, the engine, um, which provides pretty much full ANSI grant revoke uh, capabilities across down to the, you know, down to the column level. Um, as well as what we have done actually is um, provided grant rework for operational mm-hmm. kind of things as well um, that are being done to the table. And this will get into the whole issue of database as a service, right? So you basically you want um, some folks to be able to maintain certain things on the table, but you don't want them to be able to look at the data, for instance. Um, so that infrastructure provides us that sort of capability that uh, you know to to be provide database as a service where i as a provider cannot look at your data um, so and of course we are uh, looking at encryption uh, and leveraging leveraging uh, mm-hmm. hbase's underlying encryption capability um, and so forth so and and then of course the the other aspect of it is really integrating into things like sentry we have done that uh, and we are now oh, okay. in the process of also doing Fantastic. the same thing with ranger which are the essentially provide you know plugging into the the overall high level infrastructure mm-hmm. and SEIM yep. nice. type uh, solutions. Um, That's good to hear you guys. We all did great there. It's nice, right? Yeah. Just to add to that, uh, the other thing also yeah. this engine supports is we do support auditing. For example, like mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're looking at what queries are coming in, and then somebody was looking at all the information. We have a pretty rich repository where we keep all that and also integrated with the key management. And one of our customer had their own key management and then especially data at rest. And then we, as Rohit pointed out, we are leveraging the Hadoop ecosystem of uh, integrating with Atlas, Knox and other projects. Okay. And then also key management. Right, yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I, I couldn't be more happy to hear all of that because this is one of the areas where you know, often people mm-hmm. sort yeah, of yeah. fall down a little bit. You know, maybe they have the Kerberos support, but you know, aren't aren't integrated or aren't looking to integrate into many of the wider areas. So yeah, I think great to hear that you're you're integrating with uh, with Ranger and, and Atlas and things like that. Because certainly, as as people start to uh, you know approach a big data platform as as a holistic thing that exists within their organization, um, you know, anything that they can do to ensure they have that single view is, is always going to be beneficial. So yeah. And having all this, uh, as, as just as a new TLP project means you have an edge for adoption there. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And the challenge for us is to, to satisfy the compliance requirements, not only for the U S <laughs> but also for the Chinese customers. <laughs> So they have a different compliance requirements. Oh, if you compare it to GDPR, is it worse or easier? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've not been exposed a whole lot. To, I don't know if Rao, you are aware, <laughs> but the, the, I know our Chinese team has been testing and yeah, that's a yeah, it's a complete different set of requirements, and then Hopefully. we have, especially yeah, we have to go through this. Uh, 
complete auditing process and then that's like a six months project for us yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i, I we, we hadn't we, had, we haven't talked about it but we have about you know 40 uh, or so people in uh, now probably more in, in the 45 or so maybe in the mm. u.s and about 60 or so in in china uh, so so that's uh, that's where the our development team there as well yeah you know sort of handle some of that okay excellent workload. So I know that earlier we we sort of touched on the some of the use cases, and you mentioned some of the organisations that are already using um, Travodian out there. Um, is there anywhere else, anyone else that you think is particularly uh, noteworthy um, that's that's using Travodian today in a, a particularly unique or interesting way? <coughs> we, um, as I mentioned, right, we have a few in um, in US. Uh, mm-hmm. The, yes, they're using the Travodian as a core engine, but they're also looking at um, DB capabilities where we bring in mm-hmm. um, manageability layer and other things. And then uh, there are uh, there are two big companies. I'm not supposed to reveal the names, but these are <laughs> I could say one of the <laughs> one of the largest <laughs> banks in the world <laughs> and one of the biggest storage <laughs> companies in the world. Right, so mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> They are um, yeah, pretty much deep integrated. They're doing like a lot of uh, uh, use cases. Uh, I think the infrastructure team has validated, and then they give now we are the individual teams are were doing the, um, yeah, the POCs. One study is done, hopefully. And uh, I think Ken uh, probably can uh, mention something. We do have referenceable customers to Rouse Point, uh, you know, um, and people, some of them are private references. We can't disclose their names, but they're happy to take a call. Um, and then others, we do We do have some that are public. Uh, Webroot is our first U.S. customer, and they're public, and they're on our, our Eskin website. Um, and and so, you know, yeah, the, the being circumspect about the names is just a requirement on the contracts, unfortunately. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I completely understand. So, I mean, obviously, without mentioning any any names, um, you know, in terms of people getting an idea of the of the scale, I know you've mentioned that you know some of your Chinese customers, for example, are using this at at very significant scale. But what does that translate to in terms of um, you know? number of nodes or amount of storage being queried you know what 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 are the sort of size and scale of some of these deployments so some of the uh, the use cases as, uh, in uh, in one of the, uh, the the telcos we are doing pocs i think mm-hmm. uh, they're talking about close to 800 to 1000 nodes uh, uh, nodes and then mm-hmm. each node again it varies right it's about uh, i could say 20 core and then 256 gb memory and mm-hmm. uh, that that's the, that's the scale, and we also know one of the the, the biggest banks. They were looking at uh, they're segregating the compute versus storage. You're talking about two thousand to two thousand nodes, and uh, but are they going to deploy the whole thing for Eskin DB? We don't know, but we are seeing those kind of scale um, uh, scales uh, from of many of our customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly for the preparation for, for some of these things that are coming up, we, we just recently did a, 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 a tremendous uh, scale test uh, uh, on Amazon with about 260 nodes, I think, is what we um, uh, tested. And that went pretty well. So, so. people shouldn't, shouldn't be afraid of, uh, of, of spinning up, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of nodes. 
Yeah, I mean, we just uh, essentially we scale with uh, with you know yep. with uh, age age base in the case of age base, um, and and with with the other you know um, storage engines essentially. So there's in, in that sense there is uh, there is no loan limit. Now, when you start scaling out, uh, one of the things you have to be aware of is that you know you don't need necessarily the same level of parallelism you don't need to have uh, so if you've got a, mm-hmm. a hundred node cluster most queries don't need to run a hundred nodes of compute uh, because that lends itself to too much of overhead you are actually using a lot of memory unnecessarily you are you know having a lot of messaging you know essentially going across to different uh, uh, processes and so forth so what we have in our technology is called adaptive segmentation so one of the things that and this is one of those patterns that we have, which basically says that, you know, I, I, you decide on the degree of parallelism that you need for a particular operation. So for scan operation, of course, you're going to access all the disks uh, that are involved in that, in that particular scan. You might not have all of them involved, but you might depend on your partitioning scheme or your salting scheme or whatever. Yeah. You might have a number of them involved. And then at that point in time, you you have a reduction. And, and so that reduction is a cardinality estimation that we do based on our histograms. And, and then you need uh, fewer uh, nodes necessarily to, or, or processes to, to essentially process the next level of maybe join or, or whatever. And ultimately, by the time it goes out of aggregation and so forth, very few nodes are involved. So what we do is we have, we divvy up the cluster into what's called, you know, virtual segments and then run these queries in virtual segments so you don't necessarily need the entire cluster and we use the appropriate amount of uh, you know a, a segment which meaning number of nodes we use the right amount of degree of parallelism that we need for that query to run it so so that gives us very high levels of concurrency uh, much more resiliency to to failure for instance uh, much less consumption of memory and resources. And that's where a high concurrency, you know, um, you know, story really shines as well. So, Okay, good. So obviously we've talked a lot about, um, you know, where, where uh, Trafodian and AskinDB came from. Uh, what can people expect in the, uh, in the future? What does the roadmap look like? Yeah. So certainly I think that, uh, you know, there's the Esgen DB roadmap, and, and I think we are talking about mm-hmm. mostly uh, we are yep. focused on uh, Trevorian is my suspicion. And so, so I think in in that sense, uh, th- there are some opportunities that certainly we are looking at. Uh, so one is one is certainly you know in memory and how uh, this evolution to in memory happens, and then we are looking and seeing if age base is is something that will evolve to that because if you See, uh, you might have heard of Facebook uh, has implemented, uh, uh, you know, Cassandra with RocksDB, for instance. Um, so, which provides a pretty good, uh, you know, performance. So we were saying, well, let's get, let's mm-hmm. see if HBase can do something similar uh, in, in that sense. So, so that's um, so certainly one opportunity where you, we we would like to see more of an in-memory uh, implementation of storage engine. Uh, right now, the issue with RocksDB is it's it's a single um, single node implementation. It's not a scale out implementation like, uh, and, and, you know. So so that's that's one area. The other area is essentially if you're running on big data, you have to be able to support big data models, right? So uh, 
whether it's JSON uh, support, uh, you know, uh, as well as whether you you're talking about uh, you know bringing in like a graph engine, integrating that through like RTM UDF uh, infrastructure, or, or uh, solar, bringing in solar and all that, uh, and and the streaming aspect. So so that's the other aspect. The 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 third aspect I think is is in the streaming area. So in in the past, what we have had is support mm-hmm. for something called public subscribe. So public subscribe um, being that if you are writing to a, a table, that's like a publish. And a subscription was where you would just do a select from table A and you would say table stream A. So you would qualify mm-hmm. that as a streaming table. So when I'm uh, doing a select against the table, when I come to an EOD end of data, I don't I don't close my you know cursor, so to speak. I, I just keep it open. And so as new data comes in, I can subscribe to it. So this was something that we had in the old storage engine support that we had. We would love to have see that, be able to do that with with uh, with HBase and so forth, so that you can actually subscribe to those, uh, you know, in, in, because I ingest speed is pretty fast. I mean, that's really based on HBase, and so ingest speed is pretty fast, uh, and and so uh, and it's of course we can do transactional ingestion, which is even better because you can you know guarantee consistency. And then the latency between, you know, the collecting that or getting that into the database and then subscribing to it and making it available to an operational store or something that wants to process it and, and make decisions based on it um, can be done through this public subscribe mechanism. So I think those are the three areas, uh, essentially the in-memory, the, you know, public subscribe, and then, of course, support for these different data models that can be... Uh, yeah, when you're talking about going in memory and doing streaming, uh, are you looking at using Spark as a backend as well? or No, not necessarily. I mean, I think that there are use cases where you need maybe the sophistication of a real streaming engine. I, I, you might have seen Michael Stonebreaker's uh, paper on uh, comparing um, you know, streaming versus database engines and, and what are the differences and why one cannot support... One can support certain things, the other cannot support some things. And so we sort of know the limitations of a database when it comes to streaming, right? Um, but but certainly there are a large number of use cases that can be met by this. Just uh, the web root use case that uh, uh, Rao was talking about, right? So they publish an operational dashboard and they want this dashboard to be immediately reflective of anything that alert or something that happens. Um, and and that you know that basically can be implemented in what we're already doing because we are ingesting that uh, feed coming in, and uh, right now they are sort of polling it right. So every every few seconds they mm-hmm. run a query and and get the updates. But what we would like to do is have a subscription model so that they you know as soon as something comes into the table, immediately the, the application yeah. gets it notified. It could be a you know a, a SQL that they have applied on it, or mm-hmm. even a user-defined function they have applied on it, which then makes a decision based, you know, if they want to alert something or do something based on that, and and be able to reflect that in the operational side. So there's a lot of opportunities uh, of use cases that don't necessarily need a, a you know real yep. you know oper- what's called a streaming engine. Um, and all all the kind of windowing functions and all that necessarily that that somebody might need, um, though certainly that some of that could be done as well. But you know there are limitations of what you could do with something like this. But yeah. certainly it makes yeah, a lot of. I would like cases. to add one thing. I know Drohit is talking from the 
he's a technologist right he's a he was cto is talking <laughs> about <laughs> what, uh, what but if you look at our existing pain points the customers uh, are, are talking we are, we are what we are also focusing on on one is uh, data governance and security that has been mm-hmm. our biggest uh, requirements every customer is asking right data in motion data at rest how are you talking how are you taking care of governance lineage right that's mm-hmm. one of our you know, focus how to improve that and uh, the other thing is again right the the cloud strategy strategy versus on prem they are looking for containerization it could be kubernetes or it could be like dockerization that is another requirement we we keep hearing so that is another thing we are also thinking about how to use all that and then the third point we talked about this data virtualization where they may want to go and then integrate with uh, with external uh, tables and then bring the data real time so these are the other things which are current pain points the customers are seeing and then we are focusing on them great great i think that uh, sounds like you've got a pretty uh, full batch of engineering ahead of you <laughs> yes so obviously uh, some people may well have may well be listening to this and may well be quite excited about uh, Trivodian and maybe looking to contribute. So, uh, you know, what are the areas that you think, um, you know, people could uh, maybe cut their teeth on? What are some of the maybe easier areas that people can start to start to take a look at if they're interested in contributing to the project? Yeah, I think there's certainly the, the, the one that I mentioned where you leverage TMUDF to provide integration with other um, uh, other ecosystems like you know, and making that richer because right now we have some basics, basic support, you know, to in, into solar, but to extend that into, you know, providing a lot, you know, a lot better support for uh, integration with solar or Janus Graph or, or Spark or whatever. We have actually got, you know, integrations of these Kafka panel. We have actually published those UDFs and shared them. And, you know, people can extend that um, to, to provide much better support for, for some things like that. Um, and as far as the streaming part is concerned, actually, we do have uh, the PubSub support is actually the, the from a, from an engine perspective, SQL engine perspective, we still have that code in, in, in the code base. I mean, and no, uh, so if you are brave <laughs> enough to look at C++, it's, you know, uh, certainly that code is still there. And, uh, and, and then we need some underlying uh, infrastructure work in, in HBase to sort of uh, leverage that and feed that into this. But, but so those are the kinds of uh, support um, from, from this. Uh, the ones that mentioned, uh, Rao mentioned, I think there's obviously Kubernetes and all, all these and, uh, and uh, uh, was the other container. Uh, but you you can essentially you know have help us support that as well you know um, being able to support containers uh, with with Trivodian. so so that yeah there's a fair amount of opportunity in in those areas great so I think uh, we're probably sort of coming towards the end of the interview uh, at this point and I know that uh, there was a mention of uh, chief naming officer. Uh, that uh, came up towards the start of the interview. So uh, anybody fancy uh, explaining that little gem? I think I gave that yeah, well, name I... to Ken. <laughs> yes, you, you did. And it, it, was, it was only when Rao gave me that name that I realized yeah, that I'm responsible for a couple of key things here, one of which is um, 
the the, the Trifodian uh, name of the open source project. Uh, we okay. we had to come up with that name when we were um, when when we were in HP. The marketing uh, branding group within HP came up with some just just terrible, awful names, <laughs> and so the 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 team that was uh, you know t- targeted was uh, coming up with an actual name. Um, we had a very limited time period to to sort of define one. And this this had to be an HP approved name as well. It had to work well across the world, you know, not mean anything uh, uh, um, inappropriate in certain languages or sound that way. Um, but anyway, so a colleague of mine uh, started thinking about the names in his native language, which is uh, I think it was Tamil, um, and uh, and that got me to thinking about maybe a Welsh name, and. Uh, Transactions, uh, you know, is is what Trafodian means in Welsh. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to go with Trafod, which just means transaction, and it was a shorter version. But that um, that name and that URL were already taken. So uh, Trafodian is is the name that was coined um, for the open source project. And then when we uh, spun out and founded Eskin as a company to uh, you know to to really build a business based on on Trafodian. Um, we were again under a short timeline to come up with another name, and so we looked to the Welsh language once again um, and uh, came up with Eskin. Eskin is actually the name of the road that I grew up on um, in <laughs> Wales, and uh, and just happens to have a really nice connotation. It means to ascend or to soar, okay. uh, and nice. so we we figured, you know, it's a nice it's a nice name. It, the the five-letter uh, URL was available, eskin.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only challenge we have with both words being Welsh is that people sometimes have a difficulty pronouncing them. Um, yeah. And I must say, Dave, you're, you're doing a great job at pronouncing uh, Trafodion <laughs> correctly. Even I say Trafodion these days because uh, so many people do. Um, yeah, we read the and, FAQ uh, and, and it's spelled out there. So. <laughs> Yeah, we we started out pronouncing it right, and then we just <laughs> yes, it. yeah. So, so that's where the uh, that's where the naming comes from. I think it's very uh, pronounceable, actually. I, I, I congratulate you on finding Welsh names with a good meaning behind them, and they're still fairly pronounceable. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> yes. I think it's, I think it's excellent. I think the name of the project, the name of the organisation, you know, good work there. There's the there's so many. So many names that are popping up in the big data world that uh, you just think, oh, really, really? You you called your project that? <laughs> but uh, no, good work. So I I, uh, I officially certify you as uh, definitely chief naming officer. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for that. Anything else that anyone wants to, to add based on the, the conversation that we've already had? Yeah, yeah, so actually, uh, when I was, uh, we were talking about uh, running some of the OLAP workloads and all that, it just slipped my mind, and now I recall that I I was going to say this, is that uh, we actually not only have run auto entry, and you know, which is the TPCC uh, version, our version of TPCC benchmark, but we run the TPCDS benchmark, which is the uh, full 99 queries run out of the box on SkinDB. Now, one of the things that we haven't tried is how many of those queries actually run mm-hmm. against uh, Trovodian as well. So that's, uh, uh, we could do that exercise, but but we run all 99 queries out of the box. And actually we, we have been very, very competitive 
uh, with some of our competitors on on that end as well. So just I just wanted to add that. Uh, no, it's good to know. I mean, TPCDS is one of those you know, industry standards that uh, that regardless of how close or otherwise their workload might actually be to uh, the queries, everybody knows it and everybody wants to uh, wants to see some results. So sounds good. So um, one of the things that we, we, we always try and round up these interviews with is just a bit of fun to um, uh, have everybody define Hadoop, preferably in sort of uh, one sentence, as short as possible, to someone who's never heard of Hadoop before. So uh, we've got a couple of people on uh, on here. So the the last person gets more time to think about it. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're expecting Ro to come up with a really great explanation. Uh, but uh, first, uh, Rohit, you're up. So how would you define Hadoop to uh, to someone that's never heard of it before? So I, I look at Hadoop as a scale-out infrastructure for handling big data, meaning data which is structured, semi-structured or unstructured, on essentially um, you know um, low commodity type hardware, um, in the sense that you, that's why it provides HA across this uh, low commodity hardware, so low cost. Perfect. PCO. That's great. Uh, Ken, you're up next. How would you describe Hadoop to someone that's never heard of it before? I I would take a much simpler approach and and basically just call Hadoop the big data operating system. <laughs> and I can't lay claim to that definition. It was one I heard at a, a conference. Uh, I think it was a guy from Intel that uh, spoke of it in those terms. But I thought it really sums it up in you know in kind of one sentence. Most people. Can relate to what an operating system is all about, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, the Hadoop is the big data operating system. Very nice, very nice. All right. So, last but not least, Rao, how would you define um, uh, Hadoop to someone that's never heard of it before? Yeah, I, I interesting, right? I asked uh, uh, my my son used to ask me, right? What, what is what is Hadoop, right? He's like, uh, I, I think this was a year back or two years back. He was eleven, right? So uh, <laughs> I used to say, like, okay, you heard about data? He says, yeah, I heard about data. So if you have a lot of data and if you need a place to save or store, and uh, that's what Hadoop is all about. And then he used to say, oh, just like saving our money in a bank, it's like saving <laughs> data in a place. And then I say, yeah, okay, yeah, it's a good relation, right? That's like a correlation. It. Yes, that's what, right. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Data bank. Fantastic. All right. And uh, with that, I think we're pretty much done. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Rohit, Ken, and Rao for all of your time today um we've we've recorded quite an epic session um on uh, apache travodian and uh, hopefully our listeners have found it useful and interesting um thanks very much guys for all the time that you've spent with us walking us through the uh, the wonderful journey that uh, this uh, this has taken and uh, wish you all the best for the future thank you thank you thank, thank you, you. thanks for having us thank you and that is the end of our duo of Apache Travodian uh, interviews. Had a great time with uh, the guys from Eskin. Learned a lot about Apache Travodian. 
um, a project that I, again, haven't heard of before until really quite recently, even though it's actually been around for quite some time. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we heard from the Esking folk, if you uh, trace its lineage all the way back to sort of tandem days, it's got 30 plus years of evolution behind it. So really interesting stuff. Um, wish the uh, the folks at uh, Eskin and the everybody working with or on Apache Travodion all the best luck. And, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing more from them in the future. Yeah, thank you very much for the guys for spending some time with us. So with that... Anything else from you, Jan? Nope. I'm all filled up with Travodian. Goodness. In that case, that is about all the time we have today. Hope you enjoyed the serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find out more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at HadoopCast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye.